Well, I'm going to ask you to take either your written hard copy or your digital copy of the Bible and turn with me to the fifth chapter of the book of Proverbs. I remembered earlier this summer when Vacation Bible School got scheduled and I started looking at the preaching schedule and I thought, uh, this doesn't seem like a a great message to bring on on VBS Sunday. Uh, That's not lost on me. I, I, I acknowledge that. But it is in the Bible. And we just believe that all the words of the Bible are inspired by God and are useful for teaching and we, we have in Proverbs 5 and chapter 6 and 7 that really hit on this theme of purity. So that's what our message will be on today. In 1951, uh, a pastor, I think he was a, a Presbyterian pastor by the name of Robert Boyd Munger, wrote an essay that was entitled, My Heart, Christ's Home. And you've probably heard an illustration that has flowed from this essay. The principle was this, is that what Pastor Munger said is that when you enter into a relationship with Jesus and he has forgiven you of your sins and you've placed your faith in what Jesus has done on your behalf, it's as if you have invited him into the home or the house of your life. And Jesus knocks on the front door and he says, may I come into your living room? And it's there in your living room that is, well, often the nicest room in our house. It's where we position all the furnitures and trinkets to impress the people that come through the door. And we are quick to show them all of those things. And Jesus looks at that area of our life and says, this is wonderful, but, but can I see more of your life, more of your home? I'd like to see your kitchen. And the kitchen might represent our appetites, what we hunger and thirst for. And so we, we usher Jesus into the kitchen and say, sure, you can check out the kitchen, look at all these areas of our lives. And he examines them. And he says, well, I'd, I'd really like to look at your bathroom. Well, if that's what you'd like to do, come into this area of my life as well. And in the bathroom, there is a mirror representing God's word and God's truth when it's preached to us, when we read it. How will we apply? Will we apply it? Or will we actually leave the bathroom without making any necessary adjustments on our, on our face? And then he says, well, could, could I see your office? And so we take him back to our office. This is that represents our work. And do we, do we work with ethics and truthfulness? Are we hardworking? Are we working as unto the Lord? In one room after another, Jesus gets to a deeper level of who we are, and there's this opening of a door, so yes, you can come in. Yes, you can look at this. But then the last room is the bedroom. And it's on the other side of that bedroom door that we are who we really are, when no one is watching and when the lights are off. Well, this is that kind of a bedroom message this morning. We've been working through a series throughout the summer that has been intentionally to try to get at the heart of who we are between our relationship with us and God and with us and one another. And this has been a hard series of messages. In fact, I'm, I'm so grateful to see people return every Sunday because I'm like, man, I just hammered them this last Sunday or the material hammered us. And it, will anyone return? 
but you have, and you've been so faithful to do it. And we've not only preached this series of messages, but we've also been working through a book that complements these messages called Seeking Him, Experiencing the Joy of Personal Revival. This week we're in chapter 10, which deals with sexual purity. I preach it, and then you unpack this material in the next five days. As we look at this topic of purity, I'm reminded of what God provided in the Ten Commandments. He understood, and we would understand later, that if a civilization or a society is to be stable, then the bedrock of that is marriage. That a husband must keep his promise to his wife that they will remain married and that they will remain pure. And so with the seventh of the Ten Commandments, God said to the people, you shall not commit adultery. Years later, Jesus preached on the Sermon on the Mount, and he said it was actually possible to not violate the physical act of adultery, but still commit adultery in your heart. When he said in Matthew 5, 27 and 28, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Del Faisal, part of Life Action, said this, I know of no sin that will do more to deaden a man's spiritual vitality than the sin of moral impurity. So this morning, we're going to be lumping all those sort of things together. Adultery, that is the physical act, Spiritual adultery, that is having lustful intent towards another person, as well as using the word moral and purity all together to say that God has a way of utilizing the gift of sex that he would prefer that we would use rather than the world's way. And I think you would agree with me, loved ones, that one way or another, we and our children are going to hear about sex. Are they not? They are being inundated with it through music, through media, through movies, through apps, through news feeds. What better place to hear about it than from the Bible, whether from their pastor or from you, Dad, or from you, Mom. So let's go back today to what the Bible says about the gift of sex. And I'll just fully acknowledge something at the beginning. If, if you've never trusted Christ if you've never signed the deed of the house of your life over to Jesus, if he is not ruling your life, then this ethic that is being presented to you this morning, it's going to seem very archaic, very old and old-fashioned. But if Jesus truly is ruling your life and you are giving him access to every room in your life, then you're going to want to please and you're going to want to do it God's way. When we go to the book of Proverbs, many of you know this, we have what is called wisdom literature. And we read it a little bit different than other places in the Bible. Often what the author Solomon does in the book of uh, Proverbs is he provides two different ways to view life. There is God's way, that's the wise way, or there is the foolish way, or there is man's way. And we see that here in the first two verses of Proverbs 5. Let's look at those. He says, My son, 
Be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. There is a tone that runs throughout the book of Proverbs of an older, wiser man, Solomon, sitting down at a park bench with a younger man or a woman and imparting to them God's ways. As if he is saying, there's two different ways to live. There's God's ways and there is man's ways. So the book of Proverbs often will lead this young man or this young woman on a field trip throughout life. And on today's passage, it's a field trip to look at purity. It's as if this wise man is saying, let's go downtown on a Friday or Saturday night and let's look at some clubs. And let's listen to the music that is coming from there. Notice how the people are dressed. Notice the the body movements. Listen in to the lyrics that are coming through the speakers and the conversations that are going on right there. Notice the dress. Take in all of this, not only on this Saturday evening, but come with me and, and see the emptiness that follows on the morning after and the pain and the sorrow and the shame and the regret, not only through the physical act of this, but would you come with me, young person, to another place where there was a large collection of people viewing their phones? And let's look over their shoulder to see what they're viewing on their phones through TikTok or, or some other app where they're viewing images or videos that appear to be so alluring and it's, it's difficult to shut it down because they invite you to look after one after another. Or come with me to a, a town in suburban Green Bay in the middle of the night when it seems like all the lights are off in the house except where there is a room and there was a glow of a, a, a screen from a tablet or a cell phone that, that glows onto a young person or an old person's face. And they are looking at images or videos that appear to be so inviting and alluring. What harm could there be in doing this? And follow the thread of what will take place to this person the day after this, the day after this, and the day after this. Proverbs, the wiser person, is saying to the young person, this is one path. But there is another path, and we're going to see both paths represented here in Proverbs 5. The second path has to do with the beauty of of a wedding, of which there's a young person, a young man and a young woman that have waited. They've preserved their virginity, and now they stand before their families and their friends, and everyone is celebrating that they have saved their honor for their wedding day. And then that wise old man will follow the life story of this young couple to see them downtown Green Bay. Yes, but not at the clubs, but walking along the Fox River Trail hand in hand, working through life's issues of house payments and car payments and raising kids, all the while staying connected and working through their differences together enjoying the gift of intimacy that God has given and speeding ahead to just days after their 50th anniversary, as you walk through the door of this couple that have chosen God's way into their bedroom and you see there's pictures of their wedding day. 
There's pictures of their adult children and grandchildren. There's pictures on the refrigerator from their grandkids and great-grandkids. And there is honor and respect that has been attained over time in their neighborhood and in their family and in their church. So there's two different ways presented to us here in Proverbs 5. Now, that was one really long introduction to get to the first path, okay? The trap, the trap. Here's the path to impurity. Let's look first here at the trap. Now look with me at verse 3. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. In verse 3, this impurity is personified or is given over to actually a woman that's called an adulterous woman. And what is she like? Well, she speaks with smooth and sweet words. That's what it says there in verse 3. That honey drips from her lips and her speech is smooth. It is so inviting and enticing and so is the temptation towards impurity. We could look at chapter 6 and chapter 7 of Proverbs to read more of this immoral woman. If you look at chapter 7, verse 10, it tells us a little bit more of what she's dressed like. It says, And behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. This is a woman that not only has smooth words, but she is pleasing and provocative to look at. There's not a lot of clothes on her, and the clothes that she does have are tight. And it's all very inviting to a a man to look at. And by the way, this could be flipped as well. It could be the adulterer, a man that knows the heart of a woman, that if he would bring up the themes of I love you and someday I will marry you, he can cause her to become vulnerable so that he can get what he wants. He's already done that six months ago with one person. He's already got his eyes on someone six months from now. He is the adulterer. And so the first thing we see here is sexual impurity is alluring. It's pleasing to the sight. It's pleasing to the ears. Not only do we see this physically in physical people, But now in our day, the 2022 application would certainly be on our phones and on our tablets. Where this person may seem like a person that would be in my class or right next door, and I would never have the courage to talk to them in person, but now that they're on this computer screen or on my phone, you know what? This seems so alluring and so easy for me to get involved with. It's no wonder that Paul wrote of this sexual sin in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Sexual impurity is not only alluring, but it's not long before it is alarming. Look at what it says here in verse 4. But in the end, she is bitter, as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. You remember what she came across as initially? As one who was sweet like honey, but now she is bitter. 
You remember she at one time was smooth. Her words were smooth, but now she is sharp. When her mouth is opened, it's like a double-edged sword and she cuts and she hurts. We could read a little bit more in chapter 7 of what this woman is like. Once she gets a man, it's as if she is like a man that's being led to slaughter. We read about that in Proverbs chapter 7. I'm reminded of a little fishing analogy. Is that when you bait your hook, the whole idea is to cover the hook. Why do you do that? Because all you want the fish to see is the bait. But once they grab a hold of that bait, then what? You got them. And that's how impurity is as well. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow morning. Don't worry about where this is going to go with this person. Just enjoy the bait. Or I can think of when I was in high school. My stepdad, still a big hunter, and he would go down to the local bakery and grab a bunch of old pastries, glazed donuts, and apple turnovers. And he would scout where black bear were. And he would regularly go out and he would undump all all these pastries out at a strategic location. And what he was saying to the bear is don't mind that this is an open area where my deer stand is, is right there and I got an open shot with no hindrance. Don't worry about any of that. You want the sweetness of these donuts, don't you? Come and eat. I'll continually bring these to you. And then one day I'll take your life. And and this is the picture that is provided for us of impurity. It says there in verse 5, Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me. And do not depart from the words of my mouth. And there are many a people who just took a nibble at the bait and had no idea that they were hooked and that their lives would be ensnared to this sin. So sexual purity is not only alluring, it's not only alarming, but it's also annihilating. Now that's a strong word. I understand that. But what I mean by that is it destroys. It brings destruction to one's life. When a fish is captured, it's put on the stringer and then to the frying pan. And when a bear is shot, it is gutted and turned into brats and burgers. And its hide is hung on the wall. And I'm just telling you that impurity has its own trophy room. And if you were to walk into that trophy room, you would see all sorts of things hanging on the wall. You would see cell phones and tablets and laptops and magazines that were used to allure people and now has them ensnared and they can't get away from it. You you would go to that same trophy room and you would see Divorce certificates of where this sin has led to breaking this marriage. 
you would see pictures of one-time united families that are now shattered. You would read documents on the wall of severance packages because a person was so ensnared in this that he could no longer do his job and it cost him his job. You would see letters of resignations from churches where a person was serving in a position, but because of this quote-unquote secret sin, it has now cost him that position and his influence. It would cost a man his reputation. It would cost a wife his, her family. And as we look at this, we see that this sexual impurity is destructive and annihilating, and there's many different things that it will cost us. Look at what it says here in verses 8 and 9. It says, Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. Listen to verse 9. Lest you give your honor to others in your years to the merciless. When, I just want to speak to our young people for a moment, when we engage in this act of impurity with another person before we are married, we lose our virginity. We lose our honor. It's the one thing that we can give that is so precious to our future spouse. And listen, like an egg that is cracked and poured out in a frying pan, once it is cracked, you cannot put that yolk and white back in the egg. It's forever lost. If you won't listen to your mom and dad about this, please listen to me about this, or at least the Bible about this. You don't want to lose your honor. It is so precious. You want to be able to give that to your future spouse. Not only could you lose your honor, but you could lose the fruits of your labor. Look what it says here in verse 10. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. I think what this is saying is the person that has given into impurity has followed the woman of adulteress. It has cost them to lose. Picture with me a man that was so excited to buy his first fixer-upper. And it's a humble house. He worked a full-time job, but he would come home and put his sweat and labor into updating the living room, updating the kitchen, and updating the bathrooms. That this was like a new house. You go out to the garage, and there's the car that he had when he was a senior in high school that he also restored, and he was so proud of this car. And then he entertained this adulteress. Impurity whether virtually or in person. And he went through a divorce. There's a for sale sign put up in front of his house. And someone else is now living in that house. Someone else is now driving his car because he had to sell it because he was going through a divorce. These are the words of warnings that are given to us about this sexual immorality. Not only this, but it could cause you to lose your peace It says here in verses 11, 12, and 13, at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I'm not an old man yet, but I'm old enough to, on a quiet moment, reflect on my life 
and look at the decisions that were good and the decisions that were bad. And if the Lord would give us 70 to 80 years, and some of you are experiencing them right now, I think what Proverbs here is telling us that you will look back at your life and if you have chased after this adulterer or this adulterous sin, that you will look back with regret and groaning. When you replay the movie of your life, there will be nothing but anguish. And so there's this word of warning. Don't go down this path. And finally, you will lose your reputation. Verse 14, at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. This sin seems like it's safe and secret, but it's just a matter of time before it gets leaked and before everyone knows. And the reputation, all that you worked for, is washed away. Now, that's one way to live. And did that scare anybody here? Because I think that's what it's intended to do. Because there is another way to live. When we talk about Christianity, loved ones, it's not about what you, it's not just about don't do this. But God has something that is so much better than what the world provides. So first we looked at the trap. Now let's look at the treat. The path to impurity. Now let's look at the path to purity. And that is through marriage. God has given this desire and this drive. And then he has provided this suitable outlet. And that is marriage. Look at what it says in verses 15, 16, and 17. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for your strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. There is another way to enjoy intimacy, and it's with your spouse. This is God's design, and marital purity is enjoyable. You'll look at the words there in 15, 16, and 17, and it speaks of flowing water, springs and streams of water. When there's water that is moving, it tends to be clean and satisfying. Sometimes we have our, our baptistry back here malfunction, as in recent weeks, and that water just stays there for a couple of weeks, and you know what happens? Bacteria starts to get in there, and it won't be long, you'll see stuff swimming in there. But the picture that we have here is this purity, this, this drive for physical intimacy that God has given to us is very satisfying in marriage. On Friday afternoon, it was a hot day, and uh, we had some family come from out of town, and we went to Pamperin Park. And uh, we, we saw the Jacksons there. And while we were there, um, man, I'm thirsty. What, what do we have to drink? And we had some cream soda. So I opened that can up. And you know what happened? I slugged that thing down. And by the time I was done with that, I, was, I think I was more thirsty than before I even opened it. It did not satisfy at all. But when we got home, I quickly went to the refrigerator and got some cold, refreshing water and began to drink that, and that brought satisfaction. And that's the picture that's provided here. In marriage, intimacy satisfies. 
the urgings, the longings of our lives. Not only is marital purity enjoyable, but it's also exclusive. And and when you read verses 15 and then also 17, it says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Verse 17, let them be yourself alone and not for strangers with you. There is an intimacy to be experienced in the physical act of sex, to be sure. But it seems to me that there is a wonderful intimacy that one experiences from the first day of marriage to the last day of marriage. I've heard it said this week, may it be said of us that on our wedding day, we loved our spouse the least. And with Every progressing day, we have more and more love for them. To me, that's intimacy. It's when Melody gets to know me, and there's some surprises. There's some insecurities. There's some habits. There's some things about my family that she didn't know. She didn't realize the bad breath that I had. Or or all these little secrets that I just didn't disclose before we were married, but now they're all out on the table after 18 years of marriage. And despite all of that, she still says, I'm with you, and I love you, and I'm not going anywhere. And I do the same for her. Now that is intimacy. And I would say that is sexy. And then finally, marital purity is exhilarating. Melody knew I was going to be preaching on this passage, and so she asked me twice, now you're not going to be offering any personal examples, right, this week? (laughs) And I said, I'm just going to hold you in suspense. (laughs) I'm just going to read verses 18 and 19, and, and I think there's such beauty here, and I don't think I need to expand on those. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight and be intoxicated always in her love. The world says real satisfaction comes through your phone, through this streamed movie, through this casual relationship, but it's like a cream soda on a 100-degree day. You finish it, and you're like, well, that did nothing for me. But God has another way, and it is so satisfying. And choose this path. So we get to the end of this, and there's this question. There's a treatment here. Now, now you have this old, wise woman, man, this Solomon, who's been taking this field trip with some young men and young women. He has showed them the clubs of downtown. He showed them these devices and how people are using them and the snares that is leading them down. But he has also showed them another path, the beauty of marriage and the beauty of God's design in marriage and how a couple works up through their differences and enjoys and experiences true intimacy. And then he poses this question in verse 20. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, 
with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress. In light of these two paths that we have just gone down and I've showed you both of them, why in the world would you give yourself to the adulteress? And then he says in verse 21, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. As we look at this treatment of how we are to respond to what path to go down, the one thing we see throughout this is to flee the path of impurity. In fact, I'll have you go back up to verse 8 where it says, Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. When it comes to impurity, the instruction here is don't even get close to the bedroom. In fact, don't even get close to the front door of that sin. Stay as far away as you possibly can. You think of the Bible, you think of at least two different examples of men. One whose name was Joseph. And Joseph was confronted with this adulteress that was speaking to him about inviting Joseph into her love. Do you remember? Repeated temptations. One day Joseph said, that's enough, I'm out of here. And he literally runs away from that temptation. And there's another man in the Old Testament. He too was confronted with temptation of adultery. His name was David. And while he stood up at the palace, he saw a beautiful woman bathing. And his heart went out to her. He too ran, but not away from temptation. He ran to temptation and fell into that sin. And when you trace the events of their life after that temptation, it is significant, isn't it? How one of them experiences God's blessing and one of them experiences God's judgment. I wonder when you and I are going to be experiencing our own temptations. And will God, will we seize the grace that he has given to us to avoid and not give in to them? We read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, Flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We also see from this that we are to follow God's path. In verse 21, it says, A man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. I confess to you that there was a time in my Christian life where I didn't like that. That God saw everything I did. It's like, I can't get away with anything here. But now, I'm grateful for that. There's some built-in accountability, but there's also an awareness that, God, if you know what I'm going through, then you know that I need to weigh out. I need you to give me the grace to overcome this temptation. It says in verse 22, The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. And So this is how I understand it. There are two paths. We will either be captivated by our spouse, and pursue a life of that, or we will be captured by the adulterer, by the adulteress. One way or another, be captivated or be captive. And let's just be honest. It hasn't really been necessary this morning for me to fill in a lot of illustrations Because I think that as we work through Proverbs 5, my guess is your mind has been filled with real-life 
examples of this from your personal life, from your family, from your workplace, from your friends, dare I say, even from our church, where we have seen this stuff lived out and we've seen the carnage of this sexual immorality been entertained and then hooked and then grabbed a person. And let's be honest, this dwells within us. And it needs to be rooted out. It needs to be mortified. It needs to be killed. But don't for a moment think that you are not susceptible to this. We need to be serious about this. This morning, I offer Act 1 of a two-act play. All I'm doing this morning is teaching you and warning you that there is a, a way that the world provides that leads to death, and there is a way that God provides and it leads to life. But when you work through the material today, and if you're passing through and you, you're not going to be with us over the next couple of weeks, there's a little uh, collection of handouts here that says Rediscovering Sexual Purity. They're right on the front row here. I would encourage you to take them with you. And you can unpack some strategies to re- rediscover and recover sexual purity. When we work through the workbook this week, there are 12 purity principles that we will be able to apply. So I'm not just simply giving this to you and saying, now figure it out. It's my responsibility to help equip you. And so there is the equipment for you this week. And then finally, there's forgiveness. I know we've been hammering on this sin a lot. And my guess is for many in this room, it's hit a little too close because you can identify it in your own life. And I'm here to tell you that if you've fallen into sin, your story is not over. Forgiveness is offered. The power of the gospel still reaches down to you to offer forgiveness and will restore you, restore your marriage, restore your relationship, help you to be honest with your parents and with your friends to seek assistance in this sin. Seek forgiveness. Let Jesus in to the bedroom of your life. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writing to the church of Corinth, he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindles will inherit the kingdom of God. But listen to this next verse. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Hey, I know what it's like to be vulnerable in the area of impurity. I know what it's like to ask for people to help and and keep me accountable. And I also know what it's like, by the grace of God, to walk in freedom and purity and stand before you and say, there is freedom available in the cross. I've experienced it. Church family, as we walk through this process of seeking personal revival, Eventually, we got to hit on this topic because it is enslaving many of us. So would you today, would you this week, 
bring it out into the light. Say, I need help. Would you be willing to confess it to the Lord and confess it to anyone else that you need to? Feel free to contact me. Contact friends within this church to say, I need some help. I need some assistance in this area. And let's all pull together to experience the freedom that God intends. Would you pray with me? I'll invite the music team to come at this time. Father, I thank you that you've given us a book like Proverbs. And you've made it so clear to us. We're before us as two different paths. There's this path of intimacy that says we can either do it the world's way that initially seems so alluring, but it will put its hooks into us and capture us. And it will annihilate everything that we have worked for. But there is another way. And it's your way. It's the blessing of knowing you intimately and loving you more than loving lust and sexual sin. It's your way of keeping the marriage bed undefiled and holy. Give us the grace today to repent of this. Ask for forgiveness, not only of you, but those others who will be wronged. And Lord, as I think about this, we need help. May we take the tools that the material provides for us this week, and let's get serious about this. Enough of the mediocrity, enough of being stuck and being discouraged and maybe even depressed in this sin. But may we bring it out in the light and experience the freedom that you desire for us. And I pray that there would be dads that would be courageous enough to sit down with their kids and say, I need to warn you about this. Let's look at Proverbs 5. Let's look at Proverbs 6. Let's look at Proverbs 7. And I might not be a real skilled Bible teacher, and it might be a little bit awkward, but it's going to be a lot easier to do it now than finding out that my son or daughter is already ensnared into this. So may you raise up courageous dads and and moms that will lead the way in having these conversations in an ongoing way with their sons and daughters. And may we be a church that just doesn't ignore this kind of stuff, but just say, it's possible for any of us at any moment to fall. And let's come alongside and pick one another up, encourage one another, love them enough to, to have some accountability with them. And I pray that you would use this message today to, to stir that up and there would be people that are walking in the freedom that you intend. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.